Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. And thanks, Josiah. God bless you. Um, how is Robin doing, Donita? Doing okay? Okay, we, we worried. We've been a little worried about it. So I wasn't supposed to be uh, sharing this morning. Um, yeah, Pastor Finney was. But we had an interesting week because... Um, Robin and Finney were together for quite a while on Wednesday, and then Robin popped positive for COVID later this week. And so Finney um, contacted me last evening and said, what am I supposed to do? And so um, he was checking and we were checking and uh, we went with the CDC guidelines, which said he should, uh, he should be masked for 10 days or so. So we decided that in the interest of actually being able to hear him, uh, we would punt him to uh, probably next week, and uh, I would share today. So you get me. Uh, and it's been an interesting week for me because Dr. Herb Clark did a great job of uh, repairing on Wednesday a meniscus tear, a couple of them in my, uh, in my knee. Barb tells me that Dr. Clark, when he talked to you while I was, uh, to her while I was still in the recovery room, said I was about to launch into some humor when the anesthesiologist put me out. Um, so, <laughs> and here I thought Dr. Clark appreciated my humor. Uh, oh, well. Uh, anyway, um, I'm, uh, I'm doing better, and you'll see me limping a bit, but by next Sunday, hopefully I'll be whipping my weight in uh, Wildcats. So, so good to see each one of you this morning. Um, we're delighted that you're here. I was talking to John. John Campbell is an elder, and he's the guy that's at the door uh, inside here welcoming you. And we were talking about attendance at North Sound because we have this strange thing going on. It was been two years since the pandemic started, right? So March 1st was our last regular service in 2020. The next Sunday, we switched to online only, and then we've sort of been off and on, depending upon the level of mandate since that time. But I was sharing with John that we have more people watching the service than we do actually in the room. And it's going to be interesting as Omicron comes down and as we we're hearing about um, mask mandates being lifted and other things, it's really going to be interesting to see how it affects our in-room attendance when it's so wonderful to see all of you, but realize actually when we combine the attendance of first and second service, we still have more people online watching than we do. So you folks that are online, thank you for watching and joining us. And uh, we're hoping that you will be able to join us in here sometime soon. And uh, so anyway, welcome to North Sound. So good to see you. Um, when we, uh, when we discontinued services two years ago, we also discontinued a bulletin. And uh, Nancy looks after communications for us, and Nancy and I have been talking about uh, getting, uh, getting a bulletin back uh, going for us at North Sound. We were a little concerned at the beginning. You may recall they didn't want us to be handing things out. Um, but one of, one of the fun things um, about being a pastor is... Uh, is over the years the uh, things that have appeared in bulletins. And uh, I, I was telling the folks in first service that Mike and Michelle were in Arizona, but here they are in our service. But Mike, I think you sent this along when you were in Arizona. And I can't, I can't, I can't share all of these with you, but I, I, have to, I can't really start a very serious sermon without, without sharing a few of these uh, with you. 
Um, here's, here's a great one. Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husbands. <laughs> Eight new choir robes are currently needed due to the addition of several new members and the deterioration of some older members. <laughs> that's, that's me. Um, this is a great one, too. Please place your donation in the envelope along with the deceased person you want to be remembered. <laughs> so big, a big envelope, yeah? yeah? Potluck supper, Sunday at 5 p.m., prayer and medication to follow. <laughs> this, uh, this one I'm going to close with is one of my favorites. Low, low self-esteem support group. We'll meet Thursday at 7 p.m. Please use the back door. <laughs> that, that's, just, that's just too good. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles or to uh, take your devices, however you want to follow along. We will have a cheat sheet um, up on the wall here with scriptures, but it's so much better to be able to uh, nurture that habit yourself of being in the Word. We're going to talk about the presence today in our series that we're going through on Moses, Growing Through Challenging Times series. So uh, Deb is going to put up on the screen uh, an expression, and I want your take on it. Christianity is not a reasonable faith. Christianity is not a reasonable faith. Think about this for just a moment and reflect on how you feel about that. Well, if you think there's something missing, if it makes you uncomfortable, you're right. Because there's a word missing, and the word is the word only. It should read, Christianity is not only a reasonable faith. It certainly is a reasonable faith. So what does this mean? Well, it means that we simply believe that it is reasonable to follow Jesus Christ, that he had good character ethic, he was a good moral teacher. And uh, the problem is, is that if we think that's the only thing about the Christian faith, we're badly missing it. Our friend C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity helps us out here. He says, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So what this means for us, friends, is that this, this series that we're in talking about Moses is not just about self-help guidance from a great man. It's not just about how we see 
a changing world, developing a new perspective on the world. It's not five easy steps to a better life. It's based squarely on a truth claim. And the truth claim is one that I often rehearse across the pulpit. And that is that God created us for fellowship. Adam and Eve interrupted that fellowship by going their own way in favor of sin. And the result was their captivity and our captivity to sin. To get us out of our predicament, Jesus went to the cross. He became the means by which our sins are forgiven. The resurrection in a very real way proved the efficacy and the power of the cross. And a reminder that because he lives, we shall live also. The cross changed everything and it released us from our captivity. And then Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be agents of his kingdom in the world today. So ours is a reasonable faith, but it's not just a reasonable faith. It's a supernatural faith. And there are important consequences for us. The crazy thing is that so often when you stop and think about the church today, you could realize that in some ways the church seems like it's organized such that we could exist without the power of the Holy Spirit of God energizing and informing what we do. We got great programs. We do stuff for kids and Pastor Robin does a wonderful job with our young people and we have Bible studies, women's Bible study. We have all sorts of things that are going on. We come together for worship, but sometimes people have referred to modern worship as a concert and a TED talk. And so the challenge that we have is one of thinking about whether we can, whether we can do what we're doing without God's Holy Spirit even being present. In a classic Alpha talk, Nicky Gumbel describes this well. I, I love what he says. He says, there was an article in Private Eye, which is a, a magazine, I guess, to which was headed, God to leave the Church of England. And what it said was this, following the example set by leading former Anglicans, God has decided that he too is to leave the Church of England. Friends of God believe the issue of women priests to have been behind the Almighty's sudden decision to convert to Rome. According to sources close to God, he's been unhappy for some time with the direction of the Anglican Church and has been taking and is now finally had enough. And a Church of England spokesman said, losing God is a bit of a blow, but it's just something we're going to have to learn to live with. <laughs> so, friends, do we live out our faith individually and in community as though it were just another way of looking at the world or do we really believe that God lives on us in us and works through us do we really believe the power of God is here to change the world so let's look back at our text we're going to jump ahead today and we'll probably come back next week with Pastor Finney but Moses, in our text today, in Exodus chapter 32, is up on Mount Sinai. And uh, he's receiving the law, and the people down below the mountain are getting impatient. And so they come to Aaron and the second in command, and they say they want him to do something for them. So 
verse 1 of chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So this is pretty remarkable when you stop and think about it. So there wasn't one supernatural plague that caused Pharaoh to change his mind. There were 10 of them. The children of Israel watched God intervene supernaturally 10 times, leading to Pharaoh's decision to let them go. And when he let them go and they found themselves at the edge of the Red Sea, God provided another miracle. The sea parted. They had a visible manifestation at this time of God in their midst, a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. God's presence was visible to them. And in the midst of all of this, they said, where's Moses? We want something to worship that's more tangible. And so they asked Aaron to create a golden calf for them to worship. The Bible calls this idolatry. And the definition Deb will put up for us, but idolatry is making things that are not of ultimate importance, ultimately important. Idolatry is making things that are not of ultimate importance, ultimately important. Now, I got to tell you this morning by way of confession that I do not have a sin problem around a golden calf. If you come by our house and uh, you, you want to look around the house, um, I would be happy for you to do so. But no matter where you looked, you wouldn't find a golden calf hiding that Barb and I pull out to worship. But that doesn't mean I don't have a problem with idolatry. You see, not long ago, I went to Triumph of Seattle, and I test drove a new Triumph Bonneville T120. If Get this, it's 1,200 cubic centimeters of engine power, which gives 80 horsepower. Now, you think about what one horse can do. Imagine with two wheels and 80 horsepower, what that can do. It can go really fast, but it has ABS brakes, which is a good thing because it goes fast uh, to help you get stopped. And uh, they, they have two disc brakes on the front wheel, so it makes it stop really, really good. So need I say more about idolatry? I don't struggle with the golden calf, but I do struggle with the Triumph Bonneville T120. Could it be that we have a tendency to discount the supernatural works of God because of the idolatry that creeps into our lives? You may not struggle with the temptation regarding a motorcycle, but I suspect there may have come along in your lives also something that you gave ultimate importance to that wasn't ultimately important. The truth of idolatry is that we eventually become slaves to the thing that we worship. (laughs) Lust often plays a role. And when that happens, when something else replaces the ultimate, replaces God, we have a danger of slowly walking in the other direction. 
This was what happened with the children of Israel in our text. They walked away from God and they worshiped in the immediacy of the golden calf. They wanted something now that they could experience. They wanted an idol. Now there is something that sets apart us as God's people. It isn't a motorcycle. It isn't a golden calf. It's his presence. Jump ahead to Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 to 16. We read these words. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? What distinguishes God's people is that his presence abides with them. And the suggestion here is that if the presence is not with them, if God's presence is not with them, they're not identified as God's people. Now we know that God lived out his promises with Moses and Israel. God walked with them in spite of their failures and took them out of the captivity that they were in into the promised land. His presence accomplished for them the freedom that captivity had robbed them of. Now I want us to jump forward 1,500 years. The disciples of Jesus were smart enough to understand this as well, that God's presence needed to be with them. In John 6, Jesus tells those who are with him that he is the bread that has come down from heaven. He talks about them being able to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And this sounds pretty weird. This sounds pretty weird, even in the first century. And it had an effect. And the effect that it had was that some of those who saw the the 5,000 be fed by Jesus, saw this miracle happen when Jesus talked about this weird stuff. They decided they didn't want to follow him anymore. He lost some of his disciples, but those who got it understood the power of his presence. In John 6, beginning at verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Remember, he had disciples other than the 12. He had many disciples, but he also had the 12. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Moses was able to lead the children of Israel because God's presence was with them. He led them out of captivity. The scripture tells us Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and his mission was to bring release to the captives. Verse 14 of John 4, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. 
And then we have this passage where he goes to the synagogue in his hometown and, and he announces, he quotes the scripture that is his mission statement. Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day where he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. How did Jesus begin his ministry? With the presence. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He brought healing to those who were physically ill. He brought deliverance to those who were captivated by the power of sin in their lives. His was the power of transformation that brought healing and wholeness to those who came to him. And friends, that spirit is still available to us. Jesus reminds us of this mission in the gospel of John when he says this. He says, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Moses didn't lead the people out of captivity because he was an intellectual giant. He didn't lead them out of captivity because he was such an incredible leader. You may recall how he fought the call. He didn't want to do what God was calling him to do. And he only went in our text this morning because of the promise of the spirit of God, of God's presence going with him. Jesus ministered in the power of the Spirit and the people were freed. Later in his ministry, Jesus poured out the Spirit upon others to carry on the work. Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus was about to go to be with the Father. We read in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Friends, ours is not only a reasonable faith It's marked by the supernatural power of God. We see this in Moses. We see it in Jesus. And we see the need for that in our own lives. God helps us find a place of healing in our lives by guiding us with some great principles in his word. We, We preach truth. When we study the scriptures on our own devotionally or are part of Bible study fellowship or ladies Bible study, it's a very good thing to be involved in the study of God's word and to apply that truth to our lives. We desperately need that. It's so important. But we also need more. We need to lean into the supernatural power of God through his presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit, because ultimately our healing comes from the presence and power of Christ as the Holy Spirit makes it real in our lives. Isaiah the prophet said this so clearly when he wrote in Isaiah 53, but he was pierced, why? For our transgressions. He was crushed, why? For our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The presence of God took the people of Israel out of captivity in Egypt into the freedom of the promised land. 
promise of God, the presence of God through the Holy Spirit takes us to the cross of Christ and brings us release from the captivity of sin and our hang-ups. Jesus means freedom. Jesus means freedom. God's work in our lives is a supernatural work. It's also a work that involves events and processes in our lives. It's not just transcendent moments when we feel like we're on the mountaintop and we have this amazing sense of God's presence. God's presence is engaged in our lives in the events in which we are drawn close to the Lord, in the process of discipleship in our lives where we have an opportunity as a congregation to navigate life together. As Pastor Nancy leads Followers made, it's an opportunity to open our hearts to receive not only God's word, but to receive his spirit into our lives. Who knows, but how the world will change when followers of Jesus open themselves to the power of the spirit of God as God's agents to do kingdom work through them. I close this morning with a couple of stories. The first one is about a young man from Lincolnshire in England. He went to Oxford University, decided decided to be an Anglican priest. And after his ordination, he got on a ship to Georgia, then a colony of Great Britain. And he was going to be a missionary in Georgia, but things did not work out well for him in Georgia. He had a romantic involvement that didn't turn out the way that he thought it might. In fact, it was so bad that basically he had to get back on another ship with a tail between his legs to get back out of trouble to England. On the ship, he had had the experience of going through a terrible storm in which the main mast of the ship was broken. And people were very scared on the ship, including this man who was terrified. But he noticed a group of people who were called Moravians who were on that ship, who had peace literally in the midst of the storm. And having peace in the midst of the storm, they sang and they prayed. When he got back to London, he had been invited to go where the Moravians worshipped. And so he went down one Sunday evening to where they worshipped. And he said his heart was strangely warmed. An interesting way of describing the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon him. Taking this highly educated Oxford graduate priest... And having the Holy Spirit touch his life in such a powerful way that it changed so dramatically. See from the slide that we're speaking of John Wesley. And John Wesley continued in this journey where he had a mission he declared to reform the nation, particularly the church, and to spread scriptural holiness over the land. He began outdoor worship. You see an example here. He preached to thousands outdoors. He wanted to stay in the Church of England, be an Anglican, but he experienced so much pressure that eventually he stepped aside. And because of the methods of discipleship that they used, which included classes, 
um, which were much like our small groups, and bands, which were much like our huddles. They were called Methodists because of the methodical way in which they discipled people. And Methodism spread across the United Kingdom and eventually around the world. Wesley made 21 trips to Ireland in his lifetime. Ireland, for some reason, was especially responsive to the good news as delivered by the Methodists. And interestingly, he touched the lives of two of my relatives, Barbara Heck and Philip Embury. They heard Wesley's preaching and became Methodists, and they themselves were then sent out to America from a little church, a little Methodist church in Ballingrame in Limerick, Ireland. And they left in 1765, and we have a picture here of Philip preaching on the ship before they left harbor in, uh, in Limerick. And it's interesting because where I was researching Philip, I came across a piece of prose or poetry called the Christian Emigrant's Poem that must have captured the feeling of those that were about to leave for America. And quite frankly, many of the ancestors of you in this room, regardless of where in the world your families may have come from, Listen to these words. Land where the bones of our fathers are sleeping. Land where our dear ones, our fond ones are weeping. Land where the light of Jehovah is shining. We leave thee repenting, but not with repining. Land of our fathers, in grief we forsake thee. Land of our friends, may Jehovah protect thee. Land of the church, may the light shine around thee, nor darkness, nor trouble, nor sorrow confound thee. God is thy God, thou shalt walk in his brightness, gird thee with joy, let thy robes be of whiteness. God is thy God, let the hills shout with gladness, but ah, we must leave thee, we leave thee in sadness. Dark is our path o'er the dark rolling ocean, dark is our heart's but the fire of devotion kindles within and a far distant nation shall learn from our lips the glad song of salvation. Hail to the land of our toils and our sorrows, land of our rest. When a few more tomorrows pass o'er our heads, we will seek our cold pillows and rest in our graves far o'er the billows. After arriving in America, they did not immediately plant a church. In fact, there's a Amazing story of how Philip one day was playing cards with some friends when Barbara came upon this scene and gave him a royal bawling out and provided the kindling for the fire of Methodism to begin in this nation. And so they established what is arguably the first Methodist church in the United States, the John Street Church in New York. Interestingly, it was made up mostly of Irish and African-American members from its early roots. Methodist was evangelistic, and they were a people who had their hearts warmed and were turning the world upside down with the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting when you think about John Wesley's surrender to the gospel, whose heart was strangely warmed, he touched Philip and Barbara's hearts, and they touched others' hearts. 
And it's the story of all of us in this room. Our story with God began with someone who passed it on and passed it on and passed it on to you and me in this very moment. Friends, we're blessed, each one of us, with gifts and abilities to serve the kingdom. But without the presence of God, we can't do it on our own. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with me, I can't go on. John Wesley needed the power of the Holy Spirit. Philip Embry and Barbara Heck needed the power of the Spirit. And you know, these folks were just human like us. I don't know how many of you know, but John Wesley, a hero of the faith, had a horrible marriage. He and his wife did not get along. They pretty much didn't live together for most of his work, most of the ministry, most of his adult life. And it was a tremendous burden for him, man of God, preaching to others and having such a challenging time at home. Philip Embury was not selected by John Wesley to be one of the itinerant preachers in Ireland. John handpicked some folks to carry the good news around Ireland, and Philip was passed over. Imagine the disappointment and the rejection that he felt only to found the first Methodist church in America. Friends, we all have experienced disappointment and suffering in this journey. We all feel inadequate for the job, but God wants us. He wants to use every one of us. And so let's open our lives to God's presence today. Who knows what he wants to accomplish in our lives, regardless of our failures and our inadequacies. It's interesting, when you look at the scripture, you discover that Almost every great leader led with a limp. He or she led through suffering and through challenge. The scripture is so clear. God wants to fill us with his spirit so we can make a difference through the life that we live. And every one of us has a part in this amazing unfolding of God's plan for saving the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the blessing of your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Lord, I pray that each one of us would leave today with a knowledge of the importance of your presence going with us. That you would take the successes, the failures, the joys, and the sorrows of our lives and turn them into the fodder that can be used to see your kingdom come. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.